Okay, we're all in take five. Aaron Hogan, Rod Paper. Austin, Texas, Sports, The Horn. Indeed, E and Rod B, show four of many more, five days a week, five hours a day. Your only morning sports conversation in the ATX, and not just isolated to, to the 512. We're certainly there with you on 1049 or 1019 and AM 1260. That's the first time I've said 1049 this week, Rod. First yeah, you're time. doing really good. Thank you. First you're doing time. really good. That's tough, too, because you've been that's, it's programmed in you right now. You're trying to break the programming. <laughs> well, mm-hmm. Trust me, I've said I've said buck off Thursday for twenty years. So yeah. I'm having I'm having to And you had a couple of uh B and E's. It's all right. It's all right. We're getting there. It's usually when it's a it's brand new segmented it's show. It's the fourth day. I think every B and E drop I've had was in reference to the facts of the day, because it used to be B and E facts of the day. Now it's yeah. Ian Rod B fact mm-hmm. segment at the end of the six o'clock hour. But we're learning and hopefully you're enjoying it. And as we say, and not just the five one two, we're there for you, but also on the Horn app, hornfm.com. Our YouTube channel has taken off. We appreciate that. Our Twitch oh, channel yeah. where you can watch the show on our website at hornfm.com, wherever you are. And this is the only place in the five one two or anywhere that you're gonna get this type of in depth Longhorn football conversation, Bo-shizzle. Longhorn sports all year long. And the other stuff, like Johnny Manziel documentaries and mm, hard knocks, hard recaps. knocks, recaps, and NFL <laughs> picks and bullish and BS. And, and crazy all that. stories about snakes falling onto old ladies who are mowing their yard and then being attacked by That story went viral. Hawks. That's a great story. Was it a falcon or a hawk? Which one was it? It was a hawk. It was a hawk. A hawk. Okay. Yeah, don't be talking. Yeah, okay. Hawk. <laughs> a hawk on the wing. The eagle story came from uh, your guy, Robert Sala. Who told the Eagle Crow story, didn't he? It was a great, yeah. I, I, on Hard Knocks. I, we, we did have somebody on text line say that it is true that crows will attack eagles. And eagles, instead of just killing the crow, that they will soar as high as they can. Um, and essentially the crow, um, when they get to a certain height, they, you know, asphyxiate or whatever. They die. They, they die. They can't breathe. They can't breathe. Yeah. But the eagle can. The eagle can. Because the eagle can breathe when it's uh, soaring to... Um, unprecedented heights, which is what the Jets hope to be. Basically, they're the Eagles in this thing, and everybody else who's hating on the Jets are supposed to be the Crows. Well, and we were talking on the way to the timeout. Are we bullish or B? I, I am concerned about their offensive line. Uh, and in that division. But it's really the only thing that you can, are concerned about with the Jets, is, you know, other than they're the Jets, uh, you know, because they've been so, such a bad organization for so long. But they have, I mean, you know they they've got good players, and you know Garrett Wilson is has a chance to be one of the best receivers in this league, getting catching passes from, you know Aaron Rodgers. Uh, Michael Hardeman is there now. Yeah, they got a good. Uh, Alan offensive. Lazard is there. Yeah, the offensive weapons are nice. Well, I mean, you know the the big question for the Jets is going to be up front. I mean, there's no question about that. I mean, they've got to uh, they've got to protect Aaron Rodgers. Be able to run the ball. Uh, you know, I still wonder if Dalvin Cook's going to end up there. Because, you know, and, and obviously they're looking at camp now. The, all the preseason games will start tonight. We'll get to see these teams, at least in the starters, in a lot of cases for a series or so. Uh, but, you know, how healthy is Brees Hall? Remember last year the Cowboys were counting on Michael Gallup to be fully recovered from his knee injury. Didn't happen. And he wasn't himself. He wasn't as explosive. Now, Michael Gallup's injury happened late in December. Brees Hall got hurt last, like, October. So he should be 100%. I think that's what they're banking on, the second-year man out of Iowa State. But man, a one-two combination with he and um, 
and and Brees Hall and let uh, uh, Dalvin Cook would be pretty good when you're handing the ball when you can throw the ball. Now, go ahead. And I'm just saying like that actually may be the remedy if you have an offensive line they can't pass block and pa- pass protect really well. You need to boost the running game. Well, and one guy that needs to come for them because is Makai Becton. Remember in in the top ten a couple drafts ago they took the massive Louisville tackle Makai Becton, who goes six seven and three sixty three, um, but he was hurt last year and he's back. Now, can he earn that starting left tackle spot? Can he earn a spot on that offensive line? The remember the remember the former Houston Texan Dwayne Brown. I do. He's there too. How old is that guy? He's got to be forty. I didn't realize Dwayne Brown was still playing. <laughs> I know, uh, but Makai Becton is a key name wow. if you're a Jets fan. He's out of Louisville. I think he was like the seventh pick in the draft a few drafts ago for the Jets. One of their building blocks up front, and uh, he was hurt last year. But uh, we'll see. So that's that's the the Jets, the Bills, the Patriots. We'll see the Patriots tonight playing the Texans. C.J. Stroud will get the start. Mac Jones finally finally has an offensive coordinator. That's good. He's going to have some D.C. or special B-O-B. teams coach. Yeah, calling the plays. He's got Bill O'Brien. It's the B.O.B. So you do have the you got history with this with these teams. With the Patriots at one time um, were kind of the, the Texans were kind of the forum system that they wanted to be for the Patriots. They wanted to be the Patriots of the South. Didn't happen. Didn't quite happen. He says E. Why don't you plug some fantasy football? Do you play fantasy football at all? I don't. I, you, I I played it for like one or two seasons, and I couldn't. I'm too obsessive, so I couldn't enjoy football watching it like that. So I had to stop playing. I, I really couldn't. I really The obsession was, is why Ty plays. Yeah, it was taking football. up too much of my life. It was taking up too much of my life. It really was. Yeah, I had to. Well, yeah, I, that's one of those things now where I just look on Monday morning and see what happens. I set my lineup yeah, on Wednesday. Well, I mean, you know, when you're you're, you're – I got into fantasy football way back when our when our Oilers were stolen. Love you, blue baby. In the nineties, and I didn't in the and I didn't have a team. And I was like, well, I'll play fantasy football. I got invited to play in the league, and it allowed me to, you know, because I, you know, I, I tried to root for the Tennessee Titans with uh, Eddie George and those guys. And certainly when they were playing the Rams in the Super Bowl, I was rooting for them. But it, you know, the 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 thrill was gone. No personal. When connection. did fantasy football become a thing? Not eighties with. The internet, eighties. Do you have to have? No, Before I remember. Internet, yeah. No, I mean, really, I mean, fantasy sports started really with rotisserie baseball. Somebody will disagree with me, but rotisserie baseball, where the nerds would get out the stats, and I remember doing fantasy football leagues with the stats out of the paper. I had to, you had to great score people yeah. with with box scores. Was there like a so, a guy that did that for terrible. everybody, or did you have to? I did it in our league for a little bit. That sounds terrible. It was terrible. <laughs> but as someone who was getting, it was in radio. It was like I knew oh, everything like that was going for on. You anyway, yeah, that's true. <laughs> How many yards did he have? Oh, he had 112 yards and two touchdowns. That's fair. 12 catches. Yeah, that's a good point. Man, that sounds like that's not very enjoyable at the beginning of, of the, the infancy it of wasn't. fantasy football. I'm like, when are they going to have a website for this? Now they have like 50 of them. Oh, now they it's too easy. Track everything yeah, and true. they tell you who to draft. And yeah, see, but I do my own research, and that's why it's too. It takes too up. Much. Yeah, it too takes much. up too much for me. I can't do it. And you would think, as a big as a baseball fan as I am, that I would do rotisserie baseball or fantasy baseball, but it got to it's the season's too long. Oh yeah, and it's every day. And what, it's every day. Every day. And it starts and it, it, it kind of gives you the not even close to it, but the sense of how, what a grind it is to be a baseball player. The endurance of that to go from April through end of September is just oh, six months. It's brutal. It's every day. Yeah, I no. can't. I can't. I mean, the thing about the fantasy football in the NFL is it's week to week, right? So you build your roster, build your lineup, and then you change it up, make trades, and but baseball, man, it yeah. is. It's a, it's a chore. Have I, we ever done a, uh, a horn like pick 'em pool? For the NFL season, we have, we have. We'll have to think of that. Um, we let, let's get to the headlines though, because we got a very special guest joining us here coming up. Mike Craven, senior writer, Dave Campbell's Texas Football. Nice. 
formerly the curator of the fabulous 55, the Fab 55 at the Austin American States, and will get us a thought on Colin Simmons Day. With that in mind, let's get you the headlines that involves the Duncanville product. Top Gun Equipment Rentals bring you the news. And, yeah, we'll start with those Longhorns. Went through their seventh practice of training camp last night. It was under the lights, and it was their first full pad practice. Rod will have more on that coming up in the Behind the Burn Orange Curtain segment this hour. All the focus this afternoon is going to be on Duncanville High School south of Dallas. State's top recruiting prospect for the class of 2024 is the five-star edge Colin Simmons. He has planned a commitment event for this afternoon at 2 o'clock. He's a 6'2", 225-pound senior-to-be. He's narrowed his choices of schools to three, Miami, LSU, and Texas. Most recruited insiders declared a two-school race between Texas and LSU. Major League Baseball yesterday and last night. Rangers lead atop the LS down to two. Rangers shut out in Oakland yesterday afternoon. It was a, a bullpen starter, but five A's pitchers combined on a four-hitter as they avoid a sweep of the hands of the Rangers. Astros made it two wins in a row in Baltimore with an 8-2 to two win. How about the Tuesday night hero Kyle Tucker hit that grand slam in the ninth, helped the Astros steal game one. Well, he had a two-run homer in the first inning last night. They got the throws off to a good start. Jose Altuve, Alex Bregman combined for six hits and drove in five. Texas will take today off ahead of a series this weekend at home. Houston will look for a sweep this afternoon. In Baltimore. The uh, game starts about 11.35 this morning, by the way. Also in baseball, history in Philadelphia last night. Newly acquired Phillies right-hander Michael Lorenzen endeared himself to the home fans for sure. He tossed the uh, franchise's 14th no-hitter. Uh, 31-year-old just acquired from Detroit ahead of the trade deadline. Uh, it's the no, first no-hitter in a while. How about this? This is the fifth pitcher in Major League history and only the second since 1900 to throw a no-hitter in his home debut with a new team. Also last night, Round Rock clobbered Albuquerque 10-6. And Shohei Otani and the Angels got the win. Otani earned his 10th win on the year as a starting pitcher. He's now 10-5. and five. He's the first baseball player ever with 40 home runs in a season and 10 pitching victories. Horn Headlines brought to you by Top Gun Rentals and Lawn Equipment. Top Guns join forces with the legendary Austin Outdoor Power to give you the best lines of outdoor power equipment and fastest repair turnaround times in town. TopGun.net will shoot you straight. Certainly will. Saw Brandon Marsh yesterday. Bumping around downtown Buda, Texas. Saw Brandon and said hello. Brandon Marsh. Top nice. Gun. Good dude hey, right yeah. there. Good dude. He's got a new location out there. Computer's blowing up, man. He's doing a great job. Love Brandon. Mm. Uh, okay, so um, can we go to the Vaqueros hotline, talk some Colin Simmons conversation with a good friend of the show. Let's do it. And uh, my co-host on the Eyes on Texas podcast, multicast that we do once a week. You can find it on our YouTube page at The Horn, YouTube channel for Dave Campbell's Texas Football, also on iTunes and Spotify. Great episode this week. And good conversation with our friend Mike Craven, senior writer, Dave Campbell's Texas Football. What's up, Mike? How's it going, guys? What's up, Mike? Going good. Any chance you're going to Duncanville High School today, or are you going to watch from afar? Uh, We have have a guy who's full-time recruiting at Dave Campbell's named Greg Powers, who's been in the industry for a long time. So I'm going to let Powers do that when I'm more on the uh, college football side nowadays. I don't have to chase around the recruiting as much as I used to. Now, you did that for a long time with that Fab 55, and now you're working with Dave Campbell's Texas football, so covering college football mostly, but obviously the recruiting and the high school element huge for, for you guys. Uh, how good is this Colin Simmons? And Before we talk about where he may land, I mean, how good is he? You've ranked players for a long time. Where does he rank on, on your list of, of, of best ones you've seen? Yeah, I mean, he's up there as a pure edge rusher. You know, I think one of the more interesting things about Duncanville and Galena Park North Shore is they play each other all the time. And so, you know, for 12, 13, 14 games out of the year, you know, those kids dominate. They don't see a lot of guys that, that are as equal as them that they'll see at the Power 5 level. And then at the 6A Division One State Championship game, you see, you know, North Shore and Duncanville go up against each other. You get previews of, of college matchups, and you can kind of start to identify – 
which guys stand out even in those situations. And if you go back and you watch last year's state championship win for Duncanville, the first time they got one over on, on North Shore, Colin Sims is unquestionably the best player on the field. And there's like 23 other FBS prospects out there. So uh, he's a really good football player who's played really high-level football. You know, at Duncanville, you're playing against, you know, a lot of future offensive linemen in, in the NFL. Um, a couple of that, you know, have been on the Texas roster right now. And so uh, he's tried and true. He's really good. He can get off the edge. He can do a little bit of everything for you. And I think if you look at Texas's roster, you know, that's probably the one spot where we're, we're kind of questioning what they have there. So uh, a big get if they're able to land them and, and a kid who can probably come in and be a pass rushing specialist pretty quickly. Mike Craven is with you. Got to go ahead, Ron. Uh, hey, Michael, let me ask you, uh, when do you think the last time, if Texas, let's just assume Texas does uh, get the uh, commitment from Colin Simmons, uh, when was the last time Texas recruited a defensive end or landed a defensive end prospect on his level, in your opinion? Did we go all the way back to Corey Redding? Are we talking about that? When is Where are we at? Yeah, I mean, if we're going just on, on ranking, uh, Corey Redding, maybe a Sergio Kendall, you okay. know, those kind of guys. You know, Joseph Asai became that dude. You know, I don't know if we, we thought he would become as good as he was just because he was so new to football. I mean, Osai didn't know what football was until he was 10 years old, you know, when he watched it with his uncle. Um, and so I, I don't know if he was as uh, polished as, as Colin is. But, yeah, I mean, uh, uh, Corey Redding, uh, Sergio Kendall, like those kind of guys. I mean, this is a legitimate five-star top ten player in the country, not just the state. Uh, type of kid. Well, and it's a, it's down to Texas and LSU reportedly, and uh, Texas feels good. LSU has had a great visit. Colin has talked a lot about how much he loved Baton Rouge and the campus there, and uh, he's playing the game too. He's putting out pictures in each one of the uniforms and mm-hmm. messing with the with the the fans and uh, having fun with this. But you know, obviously, it's a big one. You know, Brian Kelly at LSU. He got Harold Perkins out of the state of Texas last year, the number one player in the state, and he had an immediate impact at LSU. Texas, of course, got Anthony Hill Jr. from Denton Ryan, uh, uh, the consensus best player last year. And now here's this one. So now you have those two schools jockeying for the best player in 2024. Yeah, I think what's important for the state is that, you know, we keep them inside the state, right? I mean, we all turn on the TV and watch Alabama win national championships, LSU win national championships, and and a lot of their best players are, are from Texas, Oklahoma, the same way. And so, um, you know, I, I think Rod, I've heard Rod talk about this as well. Like Mac Brown did a great job of kind of convincing these guys that you can come do something special for the, for the state of Texas on the front of your jersey. Mm-hmm. And you know, if, you come, if you come here and you do great things, you win a lot of football games, everybody's going to get paid, everybody's going to get theirs, and you're going to have a legacy that lasts way beyond uh, your college years. And I, and I think Stark is trying to build that same thing. He's using the pro model. He's using the pride of the state of Texas. He's trying to get, you know, kind of an all-star team together and, and go put Texas back on the map on the college football side and landing guys like Colin Simmons and keeping them away from LSU, from Alabama, from Oklahoma are, are huge signs and are huge things uh, uh, for the state of Texas and for the University of Texas. Hey, Mike, are you, are you noticing that there's um, now more – uh, basically, variety in the recruiting patterns uh, for teams like Texas, uh, even for teams in the state where they're going outside of the state now to fill more of those those rosters up and to fill those voids. Are you seeing that? That's nationalized recruiting now for everybody, or is that more of a a big brand thing like for Texas and Texas A and M? I think it's more for the big brands. I mean, if you're Texas Tech, if you're Baylor, if you're TCU, your bread and butter is still going to be the state of Texas, you know, because you can kind of look outside your backyard and find so much talent that, you know, maybe you'll go out of state for, for something that's really special or 
a guy you had a relationship with at your previous stop. Like say you're a cornerback coach, and you know before you were at Western Kentucky, and you recruited this guy, and he's from Ohio, and you know maybe stuff like that happens. But you know, I think if you're Texas and you're Texas A&M, you can cherry pick outside the state. But I still feel like if we go and we look at the best recruiting classes that Texas has ever signed, and not just on paper, like that 2019 class was supposed to be really good, but it blew up in everybody's face. And, and I would suggest one of the reasons is so many of those guys were from out of state. It, it's harder to keep guys through tough times when there's not a lot of ties to your program. I think Texas A&M found that out last year where they had 30 guys you know, leave the program after basically just one-year bids in College Station um, that you need to find a reason to kind of get somebody to campus beyond just NIL money or playing time, uh, but liking the university and wanting it to be home and feeling comfortable there. And I think you can keep in the transfer portal era, that's going to be more and more important. If you look at UTSA down the road, now they've won a lot of football games. I think Alabama, Ohio State, uh, Michigan, and Clemson are the only teams that have won more football games than them over the last two years. Nobody leaves. They've only had one guy leave for Power 5 football despite that because the culture's good. Most of them are homegrown, and they're, they're from there. You know, a lot of them are saying, I think it's like 45 of the 85 are San Antonio guys. So I, I do think there's a, an important element of that uh, that Texas and Texas A&M may be exempt from just because of how big their brands are. Uh, but the other schools in the state still have to rely on it a lot. Yeah, Colin Simmons makes his decision 2 o'clock today, 6'2", 225 pounds. Kind of in a, in a Von Miller kind of mold coming off the edge. Ooh. It would be a comp for him if you watch him on film. Uh, of course, he went to A&M. Uh, and it said all along he wants to stay close to home, which is why people feel pretty good about Texas. One of the things you said on the uh, Eyes on Texas multicast the other night, Mike, that I perked me up. I mean, always you make great comments and good conversation about the Longhorns. But you know, in observing other schools and programs around the state and around the country, you know, Steve Sarkeesian, you know, is famous now for saying evolve or die, right, in college football. You cannot like the new rules and portals and NILs and realignment, but you either evolve or you're you're going to get left behind. Uh, you mentioned that you feel like Sark and his staff do the best job of, you know, treating this like a business. Like it's a, like, you know, let's help you get to the NFL. You can make some NIL money while you're here. You're going to love the university and the campus and the city. Uh, but Sark is embracing that opportunity to uh, to sell that message. Yeah, I think he treats everybody in the room like a grown-up, and, and that's that's important in this day and age, right? Like the, the naivete is out the out the door. Like these guys are trying to make money now, and they're trying to make money by getting into the NFL. And you know that's the real NIL, right? Like get mm-hmm. some money. You know, maybe there's some guys on campus that can get a lot of money, but most of the guys on campus, even at Texas, you know, they're getting like you know public school education teacher money, right? Which is nice when you're 18 years old, but it's not generational wealth. It's not setting anybody up. Uh, for outside of college, the way you do that is developing at the 40 acres and then you get drafted by somebody and going to make millions of dollars. Like that, that is really uh, the end goal here for all of these football players. And start, Sark, instead of like pretending that that's not true, is just leaning into it and going, hey, come here. We got the best assistant coaches. We're keeping them here. We're going to develop you. We're going to get you drafted. We're going to go win football games. And oh, by the way, along the way in the city of Austin, we can put you in front of business leaders and people with a lot of money and a lot of connections that can help you while you're on campus, and they can help you after campus even if the football thing doesn't work out. And so uh, I appreciate that with these college coaches. Like you, you meet a, I'm in this industry. You meet a lot of these guys who are selling dreams, who are selling mm-hmm. and what we would call wolf tickets, right? And like Sark is just not. He's just saying what it is. He's doing exactly what he's saying, and I find that to be refreshing in modern college football. Is what it is, and I, I do like that mindset of Sark. I mean, evolve or die. I mean, it's like uh, this is the rule. We're going to have to embrace it, and uh, we'll see if it works out for Colin Simmons. Could there be, last question, Mike, could there be, I mean, last year when Arch Manning 
committed in in the summertime. There was then a Pied Piper effect of other players signing. We know that there's a connection in Duncanville and, and all those schools through South Dallas. Could this, you know, they have 15 commitments now. If Colin Simmons were to commit today, that'd be 16. Could we see a similar effect for, for the 2024 class? Yeah, I mean, I think so. And then even beyond to the 2025 class, right? You start signing Jonte Cook, Colin Simmons, uh, you know, Byron, Byron Murphy, all those guys from South Dallas. Now you got DeSoto, Duncanville, you know, Cedar Hill represented on your roster, Lancaster. Like you start getting into those areas. And all these guys grow up with each other. I mean, they're all five, ten miles apart. They play Pop Warner football together. Their families know each other. The coaches know each other. And so once you get them on campus, especially if they're enjoying their time on campus, not just like having fun, but like getting better as football players and winning football games. And now when they go back home during the spring or now when they go back home during the summer, they're talking guys on social media like, hey, come down here. We got something good going on down here. And so I think it all kind of lends on on each other. Uh, I'd imagine, uh, you know, the Houston connection back in the day helped Babers make that decision, right, and feel mm-hmm. more comfortable going in that locker room because oh, yeah. you knew some dudes. And so I think that's the same for these guys in South Dallas, and all the credit in the world needs to go to Chris Gilbert. He laid the foundation for Sark on this one. He got him uh, into that South Dallas corridor. He's now the tight end coach at North Texas. Uh, but he did a fantastic job as the high school relations guy and really helped build these inroads into, into Dallas because – if you notice, Texas a and is dominating in Houston right now. Mm. And so if not for this success recruiting Dallas for Sark over the last couple of years, he would have had to go out of state even more than he did uh, in general. Yeah, and it's a uh, coach point. coming in from out of state yeah. and uh, without the Texas ties. Obviously, Jeff Banks had Texas ties, but most of his coaching staff had to build those, and Chris Gilbert did a great job. Longhorns, you just look at their, their recruiting class last year, Jonte Cook, DeSoto. Uh, Trey Wisner, DeSoto, Texas, mm-hmm. uh, Billy Walton from South Oak Cliff, Malik Muhammad, South Oak Cliff. Um, of course, then there was the, the kids from up in the Denton area and uh, all over the Metroplex doing a great job. Hey, uh, Craven, appreciate it, my friend, and we'll be watching today at 2 o'clock. Looking forward to uh, the next multicast, and uh, thanks for the visit this morning. Thanks, Mike. Yeah, appreciate you guys. Hope you all have a good time. You too, brother. Mike Craven is the senior writer at Dave Campbell's Texas Football. He's yeah, great. Man. He does a good job. I remember when he was, he, I mean, he's done so much in such a short time. He was covering the uh, Austin FC for a little while. Yeah, that's when he got out. Yeah. yeah he loves, <laughs> no, Mike even told me that. He loves soccer. He's a big soccer yeah. fan, especially the Premier League. I remember when he was covering that for, for a little while. But he wanted months. to be a fan of the Austin FC. Yeah. Like he wanted to root for the team. He didn't, yeah, he didn't want to write about it. He didn't yeah. want to cover it. Yeah. So he's like, point. and that's because they got, yeah, got reassigned out of the high school desk. And, uh, he, you know, it sounded like something he'd want to do. Then he's like, no, I want to. Go to games and yeah. be a fan and, uh, and, he and does, cheer. He does a great job uh, with the uh, basically with um, now they're, I don't know if it's a new department, but now they're covering college football a lot more. Dave well, Campbell, they're covering a lot well, more. Well, for people who don't know, Dave Campbell's Texas football. They're of course, covering. the late Dave Campbell passed away pretty recently. Mm. Um, but he, it's now owned by the former Houston Astros owner, Drake McClain. Oh, I didn't Drake know that. Drake McClain, who his name is on the Baylor Stadium, McClain Stadium. Yeah. Uh, sold the Astros. Uh, he is and he owns it, and they they're making a huge push into because again the state of Texas has 13 programs playing Division One football, high level football, uh, with Sam Houston State rising this year, and you know they cover every single one just like they cover all the high schools at the high school side. Yeah, nobody like, does that. No, <laughs> it's it's hard to do. First of all, well, that's part of our multicast in <laughs> the podcast, and they they've got now they have a, a podcast for every school. Yeah, it's cool. So if you go check out that Dave Campbell's Texas Football Podcast Network, the Republic of Football, they call it, if you're a fan of UTSA or Sam Houston mm-hmm. or TCU, TCU Texas Tech, yeah. I mean, they have in-depth coverage of your favorite school 
uh, from one of their one of their their podcasts or their writing, and and Mike is the senior writer there. So yeah, you're right. They're making a big push to cover great idea college football better than anybody in the state. Uh, across the Lone Star State. There's Mike Craven. Uh, obviously, 2 o'clock today, all eyes on Duncanville, Texas. We'll come back talk more about it behind the burnt orange curtain. Uh, which uh, players are standing out here? Went to the pads last night for the Longhorns. Mm-hmm. We'll also get, uh, before the end of the hour, off the record. We're previewing the NFL as well. To, between tonight and Sunday, all 32 NFL teams will have a preseason game, including a Houston Texans tonight. We'll preview that as we roll forward on a Thursday here on E and Rod B. Going off the record before the top of the hour. Also, one hour from now, we will reveal the 17th ranked team in the Ian Rod B. Horn Top 20 countdown. So far, if you're keeping score, we've had Texas Tech, North Carolina, and Ole Miss. And uh, big tip of the cap to Lane Kiffin and his new 25-year-old girlfriend that he's flaunting on Instagrams. Doing well. <laughs> They've been dating for like a year, by the way. A year now. Mm-hmm. I was getting serious. No, they just went IG official. Is what, is what happened. Is that what oh, that is? is? Okay, that's She's the... been posting about him for a very long time. That means he's now comfortable with his coworkers and the his bosses knowing that he's dating a former Well, she's student. graduated now. I know. That's what I'm saying. <laughs> but exact, now, exactly now. And now, there are a lot, lot of questions will be like, so when did this start? And when did y'all first meet? And what happened? How long has he been How long have you divorced? been? You know what I mean? Do we know this? Like, Not to get too personal with Lane. But Kiffin, they've been but... dating a year. And she's, she's 25. And when did she graduate? Like, that what, 2019, you said? When she graduated? When was it? She, she graduated in 2019. 2019. Yeah, she was. Best. She was. She's smart. She's very smart. Yeah. So, good. Yeah. So, it's, it's been long enough. Yeah, she's long enough. Can't be judging them for that. 25. <laughs> and you know what? Mac Brown and Sally Brown, Instagram official, too. Insta official. <laughs> They're still together. <laughs> oh, Mac smart. Mac, hey, Mac knew. Mac, when Mac uh, hooked up with Sally, he used to tell us, hey, guys, marry Rich if you can. He <laughs> told you that? Oh, yeah. He's like, oh, yeah, if you can. He's she like, was a big, uh, powerful real estate. Yeah. Oh, she was making more money than Mac for, for, for a while until he got his big deal. He's like, Mary Rich. Mary Rich. Mary Rich. It helps to have love, but you want both. <laughs> yeah. You like to have both in them? It'll make your life real a lot easier. Well, we'll he's see. Right. But, uh, yeah. Oh, yeah. He looks, he looks, you know what? She looks makes, happy. She makes him look younger. Yeah. Well, she'll keep you young. Boom. She's 25. Hey man, you gotta stay in good shape with a twenty-five year old. You gotta make oh, sure you're in decent Kiffin shape. Is, uh... He's not in good shape. <laughs> He's all pudgy, all pudgy. He'll well, get skinnier. Well, the bank account ain't. Yeah, the bank account's pudgy too, in a good way. I love that Max it's, said it's, that. It's robust. <laughs> so we have number seventeen today. It is in the great state. It's in the state of Texas. It might be the Big Twelve too. We'll reveal that at nine thirty, uh, as we're continuing our countdown to number one every single day. Uh, also, Rod the. Uh, um, the the Texas Tech team with Joey McGuire, interesting. Joe me the money. Joe me the money. The uh, the Joey Juice, they're bringing it. And we said this through our first three three previews of our top, of our back end of our top twenty. Texas Tech finished the season red hot with four straight wins. They went from five, four and five to having a, one of the best seasons of Tech has had in a while. North Carolina and Ole Miss both collapsed at the end of last year in November and lost their bowl games. I think I think North Carolina and Ole Miss lost their last four games. Of last year, yeah, I want, uh, yeah, because Ole Miss ended like one in five. And if you missed us yesterday, we yes. had the agreement that we'll have. Okay, we'll put Ole Miss at eighteen just because Lane Kiffin's dating this hot twenty-five-year-old. Smoking, but we probably should have put Tulane there. 
And L- Ole Miss plays Tulane. That's going to be fun. In week two yeah. in New Orleans. And Tulane won the Cotton Bowl last year. With Willie Fritz, that could be scary—a scary scenario for Ole Miss. And we honestly, had we had our, we on, had two, we had the Green Wave just outside the top twenty, but we might have. We'll get we to see those two play week two, and uh, maybe it's maybe it's Tulane that becomes the conversation. Oh yeah, no, Tulane's like I said, they're scary. Uh, you don't want to play Willie a Fritz. team like that early on because they could drop you out of the conversation real quick. Because <laughs> even if you have a if if you squeak it out and win, it's good either way, just because everybody knows Tulane's a good team. But man, you lose that game start to start the year in a non conference. Still got your SEC hopes alive, but man, that's a that's a that's a devastating way to start the season. And they got quarterback not uncertain. They got quarterback uncertainty, I should say, because we don't know who the quarterback's going to be. Maybe Spencer Sanders at Ole Maybe Spencer Sanders who transferred from Oak State. And as we said yesterday, I don't know if he would have transferred to play for Lane Kiffin. He didn't feel like he had an inside track. Because he would have been the starter at Oak State. No question. He had been the starter for, what, three three years already? Yeah. The three-year starter? I would also say that uh, in our team today, we'll play the most, what will end up being the most watched college football game of week one. The most watched college football game of week one. Oh, we'll yeah, I don't disagree our, with that. Yes. Our pick for number 17 coming up at 930. So we'll have that for you. Uh, before we get to the behind the burnt orange curtain, uh, what did you make of Mike saying that uh, – Sark treats all those guys like adults, and he's not shying away from the conversation. That and and you know, as, as Mike said, and one of the reasons I love doing the the multicast with Mike is he covers all these programs, so he's mm-hmm. everyone's got a different way of doing things. And but you know, Sark is is bringing these guys in and and you know, selling what he can sell right now to these young players. I think that's uh, I think that that's interesting, and obviously people are going to be rightfully well. He's got the you know, most money most money to use. He's got some resources that helps. He's got some resources, well, but don't shy away from it, right? I mean, there are coaches like Dabo Swinney and coaches uh, around the country who who do kind of try to pretend it's all not all happening or they don't like it. Sark's mm-hmm. not one of those, right? He absolutely is embracing the idea of what you can get, yep. uh, assess the value at the University of Texas, and get everything you can out of it. Yeah, and I think. You know, for that convert that adult conversation, he's happening. Uh, that's happening. I think guys are responding to it. Um, you know, much like he talked about with Jeff Trailer at UTSA, that he's not losing guys to Power Five programs. That is a a great indicator that your culture is a is a is a constructive, positive culture that is actually working for your program. And Sark, I think one of the the positive indicators that his culture is actually a a positive one and is 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 uh, headed in the right direction is. The attrition that Texas is happening, and everybody has attrition these days because it's just transfer portal, and you have guys that want to leave, and they want to test the free market, and you really can't avoid it. Everybody has attrition, but there's good attrition, and there's bad attrition. And I think when you have guys leaving your program who are going to other Power 5 programs, and they are also coveted, and they are uh, also being recruited by other Power 5 programs, and they're not having to drop down in uh, competitive play to a lower level, it shows you that you know you had you had you had great uh, evaluations over those players uh, on those players, and you also you know have a you, you have you know a great picker like you actually know how to pick them. Well, and you're losing those players from kind of the bottom of your depth chart, right? You're not yeah, losing, you're upgrading, you're, you're churning out the roster, well, you're churning up the roster. The, the name that jumps to mind is Brennan Thompson, right? The speedster from Spearman, yep. Texas, who transferred out. We went to Oklahoma, and they're they, mm-hmm. they're glad to have him, but he wasn't. He, you know, in this wide receiver room, Brennan Thompson. He ran track in the spring, so he wasn't at the at, at uh, spring practice and the spring workout, so he fell way behind. He wasn't going to get many reps with this wide receiver room. So exactly. Brennan Thompson, not being disgruntled, just understanding his playing time was going to be limited behind these guys. Yeah, what's my path to play? And he didn't transfer down to you know, 
Stephen F. Austin. He transferred to Oklahoma where he has a chance to be up on that depth chart at OU yep. this year. All right, let's dive behind the uh, and jump behind that burn orange curtain, talk more Texas football. And they were all asking themselves the same questions. What is behind that curtain? All right, so uh, Steve Sarkeesian, head coach for Texas football, went on and um, he went on the show Josh Pate. If you're familiar with him, he does a YouTube show for Two Four Seven Sports, and uh, so he had Sark on earlier this week. So we got a couple of cuts of audio. Uh, the first piece of audio we're going to play here is Sark being asked about what is different from year one to year two with this squad um, that he noticed and then now heading into year three, um, what's he expecting to be different from when he first got here? Here is Steve Sarkeesian. Well, it feels like hours now, you know, and that, and again, and I, that's not knocking anybody. Every, there's a lot of ways to skin a cat in this profession, whether it's recruiting, developing your players, the schemes you run. Um, but ultimately we all, you know, you come in with a plan and, and you try to implement it and year one, you feel like you're, you're, you're trying to coach everybody on how you want it to go, whether it's recruiting, whether it's media, um, whether it's player development in the weight room, whether it's nutrition, whether it's your scheme, um, and then you're trying to build depth and what does your depth look like in year one and the players that fit your scheme for the style of play. By the time you get to year three, you know, if, you, if you're doing it right and you're consistent with your approach to things, we should be pretty dialed in on recruiting. We should be pretty dialed in in our player development in the weight room and, and how we how we rehab and recover players. And we should be pretty dialed in schematically um, of, of the way we go about our business and the way we practice. And so uh, it does feel different. And you feel like the players are like I've touched on. I don't think at this point now we can say the players are bought into what we're doing. Right. You were trying to get that buy in in year one. In year three, now I feel like our players are contributing to our culture and what we're about, and they're elevating kind of who we are. You just mentioned something there. Um, yeah, that is uh, Sark talking about the difference from year one to year three. And I think things should, from what I've heard from players and from Sark, things are going to flow a lot smoother now just because the players, not only they have the buy-in, they believe uh, in Sark's plan and his vision, but now they can coach up the younger guys. They can set the example of how younger guys are supposed to to act, how they're supposed to approach practice, how they're supposed to work, what the level and the standard, the expectations are. Uh, Sark doesn't have to go through every drill at practice in every period and explain this is what we want, this is how we practice. The older guys, the veterans will do that because you have continuity now within the staff, on the team, and with the culture. Same message, same coaches you know, preaching that message, and now veterans who now can echo that message to the younger guys. So it, it does seem like year three, it should be a lot less of the the infrastructure building, whether you're talking about the culture or whether you're talking about the physical infrastructure of building a roster. Sark didn't have to worry about that. It's built. All that's built. The cake is baked. All right? He just got to put the frosting on this thing and make it look good and put the, put the candles on the Well, light. and that's why I've said, and you can either confirm or, or decline, that this is what it looked like when Mac Brown was building Texas into the power it became. You were a part of that. You were in the middle mm-hmm. of it. You came in. I remember that. Uh, and, you know, that, that culture was starting to be built. Now, you weren't there for the national championship runs, but and, and I don't know if this is a national championship team, but with the coaching staff continuity, with the recruiting classes, 
And as we just talked about the, the lack of attrition off those recruiting classes, you're seeing just that. And you walked in, and there were dudes that kind of taught you. Was Dwayne Aquino was there to coach your position, but there were guys already showing you how to do it. No doubt, I had Quinn Jammer ahead of me that you know kind of was passing the torch. <clears throat> that one day I would be the leader in that room, and then would also show the younger guys this is the standard of DBU. This is the this is how we play. This is how we practice. Um, this is how we, we critique ourselves. We watch this much film. We put in this much work. And yeah, somewhere along the line that was lost. It seems like now you have guys talking about how that is being that connection is being recreated with this group. Yeah, where they are now trying to pass down those lessons learned, um, so that you can kind of you can rebuild the brand of Texas. So I, I like what I'm hearing, but right now it's just what we're hearing, and it's all on paper. Got to see it. So exactly, it's all on paper, and this is what you're hearing. Uh, okay, so Sark was also um, asked about the. You know the the the, the player led team because we've heard that before. That's a big term, player led team. Last year it was supposed to be a player led team, and I think it was actually for the most part with Rojo and Bijan. Um, he was asked about whether this team is a player led team, um, and what that means for Sark. So here's uh, Steve Sarkeesian. Well, I felt it last year. I mean, I really felt it at the end of our first year when you know we we were went through a rough stretch in your my my first year here and. There was a lot of tough losses and we lost a tough game and I'll never forget Roshan Johnson standing up in the locker room and he asked to speak to the team and, and really to everybody in the organization that was in the locker room. And, and at that point you could feel a shift like no longer was it just me trying to say what we needed to be. The players started to speak it and I think that bled into last season. Um, you know, Roshan was a tremendous leader. Bijan was a tremendous leader. DeMarvion Overshone. The beauty of this year um, is I don't know if necessarily we have leaders like them or as good as them or whatever, however you want to call it, but we have more people in that in that space. And how do we get there? All the players that are here in year three in this program since I got here chose to stay, right? We're, we're living in this world of transfer portal, uh, but all those guys, the Jalen Fords, the Jordan Whittington, the Christian Jones, the, the Jaron Thompsons, the Alfred Collins, the Byron Murphys, those guys started to believe in what we brought to the program. They signed up for something different, but they're believing in what we're doing. Then the younger players were players that we signed that, that believed in what we were doing and said, I want to go do that. And so now you really feel a locker room full of guys that are committed to, to what we do and how we do and why we do what we do. Um, and so we have more people speaking the same language. I think at the end of the day, you know, as coaches, we try to set an expectations and a standard for how things should be done. Well, now the players understand what those expectations are and they're speaking to the standard and in, in what it's going to take. And then when somebody's not meeting that standard, they're holding guys accountable to it. There are two types of Texas football players. I always say the ones who come to Austin to play at Texas and the ones that come to play for Texas. Um, you want the latter and not the former. <laughs> All right. The old JFK quote, uh, ask not what your country can do for you, but what you can do for your country. Guys who play for Texas, like Rojo, 
They're trying to do things to help the brand, to build the brand. They want to know, how can I help Texas? What can I do to help bring Texas back? I've heard you say that many times. It is such a great point. What can Texas do for me uh, versus what can I do for Texas? Exactly. And the other, the at guys, they're all about what can Texas do for me. And uh, Hey, by the way, those guys can change. I remember when I came, there were a lot of guys who were here to play at Texas. And by the time I left, that those same guys were playing for Texas. And by the, by, by the way, uh, and he brought this up too, E, by the time you're a senior, man, you just want to win. So those guys who stuck around the Christian Jones of the world and the Jay Witts of the world, oh, man, those, those are your best leaders because they just want to win. And, and they're willing to sacrifice if they've been through the bad times too. Well, and as I've said, none, none of, there is such a large chunk of this team that will never play a game in the SEC. I mean, they won't be in that conference. They're not going to be here. And I think, you know, we've talked about Quinn Ewers being one of those guys. I, I think it's a strong possibility Quinn Ewers either, and this may sound blunt, but Quinn Ewers is either going to the draft because he had a great year. If he struggles, he's going to transfer out of here because there's two other really good quarterbacks who want to take his job. That, that, that's the plan. That's pressure, plan. right? Yeah, you're right. Uh, but at the same time, you're right. Christian Jones in year six and uh, Byron Murphy and, and Jordan Whittington, even Xavier Worthy is a junior. A.D. Mitchell, he came here to – improve his draft stock, right, to be closer to home. But also he wants to be drafted, and he's playing like that right now. These guys aren't going to be here long. There'll be some of those guys. But the whole point to your – I think what you're saying about raising the bar and the the player-led culture is you want to win a Big 12 championship on your way out and set the tone for these guys taking that culture into the SEC, which it's going to need every bit of. Leave it better than you found it. And I got a chance to do that. It's one of the one of the great things that I felt good about at Texas. I left the program better than I found it. That's what a lot of these guys, these veterans, they want to do. So Sark's doing a great job. The culture is big, and he talks about how culture wins games. Even the guys, I always say the guys who left, I counted 21 transfers in the last cycle for Texas that exited the program, that left the program. Ten of those went to Power 5 programs. Nine of them went to Group of 5 programs. And you had two of them that still haven't found a home. Isaiah Hall and uh, Ishmael Ibrahim, I believe, are still out there in the portal without a home. Looking but, for spots. But the rest of those guys, hey, man, your players were wanted. They were recruited. They were coveted by other high-level programs. Uh, that's that's positive attrition, in my opinion. We're back when we do. We go off the record. Uh, some stories that are a little off the nose this morning with Rod and myself. Also, Ty will throw in a, two, a couple stories, too. It's uh, off the record. Coming next. D.D. Mega Doodoo, I'm sorry, Mangudu. Once it's turned on, the sign will spell out Deli Cat Essen. Well, well, I don't get a brain bag comb. Congratulations. Continue good sex in the the Big East. Thank you, Jimmy. And boom goes the dynamite. It's time for another edition of Off the Record. Do it live. I'll write it and we'll do it live. F***ing thing sucks. Oh, Rod B., carry this segment from your afternoon program to now because it's just too darn good love it and uh too many things we need to weigh in on also speaking of weigh in on next hour we'll hit number 17 on our countdown to number one our horn top 20 also preview the nfl night and weekend all 32 teams in action beginning tonight and i'm i'm starting to think i'm gonna have to concede to ty we had a debate a couple weeks ago looks like ty's gonna be dead right on that also mark schlereth weighing in on the Running back debate. He doesn't have any sympathy for those running backs, Rod. Mark Schlereth, the former offensive lineman. I think lineman. I know where he's going with this. Yeah. But uh, we do have off the record, including, uh, let me start with Devontae Smith. How about this dude? Devontae Smith, the uh, Heisman Trophy winning uh, Alabama receiver who's in, now playing great in Philadelphia. In Sark's offense, by the way. In mm-hmm. Sark's offense. Mm-hmm. 
um, was excused from practice yesterday in Philadelphia because he wanted to be in the courtroom with his friend Henry Ruggs. Oh, wow. To support him when he was given his sentence for the uh, horrible crash last year and, you know, wants to be there for his friend. He was sentenced between three and ten years. That's a good, that's a good that's buddy right there. Yeah, that's, that's, that really is. But, man, that's, that's an ugly, terrible, horrible story. Sure Henry is. Ruggs. It really is, man. Well, his I mean, life ruined, killed the woman, ruined multiple lives, all because you were speeding. But at, 150 miles an hour. You yeah, weren't speeding. They you weren't were speeding. Ridiculous. You were, does, yeah, he any, does he have any chance for redemption coming back? I if it's a three-year sentence, probably get out about a year and a half. No, I mean, still we're, young. Michael remember, Bay? Dante Stallworth had a. I believe it was Dante Stallworth, right? He had that yeah. vehicular yeah. manslaughter charge and came out, and I believe he played. Yeah. Again, after Look, that. Michael Vick came out of prison for the dog yeah. fighting and played again. So, pop, yes. and he's a first round pick, so it's he, some team out there would give him a shot, but he definitely would have to show that he is redeemed and that he has regret and remorse about what happened. Well, remember uh, Leonard, uh, Leonard? Who was the the pastor? Leonard Little. Yes. He then he, he got yeah. a second. You're right. He, yeah, he had an accident that killed somebody, and then he came back and had another one. Uh, you know Henry Ruggs is going to be on. He's only twenty four years old. So. As I'm saying, he, he, and he and he was a first round pick, so some team might give him a shot if he can, you know, prove himself. Yeah, obviously, that that family of that lady will, oh, will never man. like to see that. What a just because that happened doesn't mean he's a bad person. No, yeah. it doesn't. Made I mean, a horrible, horrible decision. He made a horrible exactly. decision. Yeah, it's yeah. I agree with that. What do you have, Rod? Off the record. That's uh yeah that's wild um okay um I don't know more of the Johnny Manziel stuff just more like little nuggets from that Johnny Manziel documentary, uh his agent revealed and it's Eric Burkhardt I think is his agent revealed that Johnny right spoiler alert spoiler alert if you don't want to hear the spoiler alert all right change the channel that right before the combine he slipped and ended up you know having a wild party or something and ended up doing some drugs of some kind so he would have failed his drug test at the combine. Uh, so one of the ideas was to have his dad fake a heart attack or a heart issue, and then Johnny would have to leave the combine after like fifteen Did hours. Johnny or being dishonest. Yeah, and have to leave the combine to go be with his his father uh, in his time of need. That didn't ha- that didn't happen. They didn't have to do that. Apparently, Johnny ended up passing the test just because he drank a lot of fluids. Johnny drowned that, the drugs, and that was part of the the theme of it was that Johnny kept escaping accountability with a lot of things. He just found a way to walk through the raindrops and ultimately Teflon. it caught up with him in the NFL. It's like, no, nah, man, you can't escape accountability. Like you, you're the quarterback. Now you've got to be accountable. And that really was a burden on him. that He just could not bear. I can't wait to watch it. I'm going yeah. to, um, but you know, that the whole accountability thing, I haven't seen it, as I said, but it goes back to his days at Kerrville Tyvee when I would talk to friends and the, you know, coaches and officials who he'd, he'd score a touchdown and he'd grab his crotch and flip off the home crowd. <laughs> it's like, who's holding this guy accountable for being a jerk? Come on, hey, man. That was Baker Mayfield in high school. I too. know. Well, same deal. Uh, not to that extent, but how's yeah, Baker Mayfield's pro as, career going? Yeah. Well, not great. He's throwing not a lot great. of picks in practice, actually. He might be the starter in Tampa. We'll see. He and Kyle Trask. Mm-hmm. Uh, speaking of the Henry Rugg sentence, rarely do we agree with O.J. Simpson. But can we hear the juice yesterday? O.J. Simpson was not happy with the Henry Ruggs courtroom ruling and uh, took to Twitter to express it. Hey, X-World, it's me, yours truly. Now, I know I went to college on a football scholarship, but somehow this math is not adding up to me. You're driving a car at roughly 160 miles an hour on a public street and end up killing a girl and her dog, 
and you get three to 10 years. You go to a hotel room that you're invited to, to retrieve your own personal stolen property, property I now have because it was ruled to be mine by the state of California. And you get nine to 33 years. Same courthouse, same city, same state. I don't know. Somehow it just does not add up to me. Right, there's O.J. Simpson. His laugh is evil. <laughs> that evil, murderous laugh. I don't think Henry Ruggs had any priors, Juice. Uh, I think his yeah. record was pretty clean beyond the one horrible incident. I think you've had some other incidents. Hey, 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 hey. he was found not guilty. Doesn't make him innocent. Remember when he was Just because pirating. you're found not guilty does not make you innocent. And he was not innocent. That is. What do you have, Rod, off the record? Uh, no, I'm good. I'm done on that Here one. we go. How about this? Okay. I got oh. this. Look forward to this new book. So Phil Mickelson, Phil, Armin Katayan. You know Armin Katayan, the investigative journalist? Oh, yeah. He's written a new book. by. He's co-written this book with a guy named Billy Walters. It's called The Gambler. And in it, what? Walters tells Armin Katayan in this book that he had a joint venture, a gambling joint venture with Phil Mickelson for five years. And he says he believes the golfer bet more than a billion dollars in sports over those over the last three decades. That makes sense. <laughs> Got no one to hold him and no one to fold him. How much had I, when I told you, like six months ago during the last football season, I bet like <laughs> yes, 125000 in how much three is, months? Yeah, no, how much does MJ bet then? Well, if, probably you, that if, much. If Ty's betting that kind of money, Ty works for a radio well, station. Well, I mean, that's, you know, <laughs> how, that's just how many bets you're placing. You could be winning and placing that money. Billy yeah, Walters, this point. will be a much-read book by golf Good fans point. and sports fans. Walter says Mickelson asked him once to put down a $400,000 bet on the Americans to win the Ryder Cup in 2012. Of course, he was playing. Walters passed. said he thought it would be bad optics. Did they win? They did. Let me look. USA won that year? I'm going to say, did he, he was right, Then He should have did it. <laughs> you could have been, been, been swimming in cash like Scrooge McDuck around there, man. Yeah, that's the one sport where it's like okay to bet on yourself, though. Oh, right. right? It's individual. Uh, like, on the course, it's most people don't play golf with about betting. There's, there's skins on the line. There's something on the line. Okay. You don't play, you know. Sure, you're just playing for score out here. We're playing <laughs> for money. All right, we'll be back.